this. Are you ever disappointed in life? You ever feel let down? My wife and daughter are Houston Rocket fans, and if you keep up with the NBA, that's a professional basketball team. Uh, they got squashed in the conference championship series and are watching the NBA finals like we are, and uh, that disappointed my daughter and wife greatly, and I'm sure if you were a part of that organization, that would be a, a devastating thing too. So we know what it's like to be disappointed with a team or something, but let's go a more personal. You ever feel disappointed um, with your kids? You ever feel disappointed with your parents? Speaking to the first three rows. Maybe you're older and you're disappointed with your parents. About your husband or your wife, you ever feel that disappointment with them or, or, you know, an ex-husband or an ex-wife where you feel that they've let you down and haven't been there for you, failed you. Maybe it's a boss or maybe it's your employees. Almost all of us have experienced that disappointment in life. We're in Judges chapter 13. Judges is in the Old Testament over towards the first part of the Old Testament. Judges 13, we're beginning a sermon series titled Long Hair and Wild Women. And uh, yes, that is from the Bible. Samson was noted for his what? Long hair and the fact that he could bench press like 4,000 pounds. And, uh, and what got him in trouble were what? Wild women, yes. Yeah. So uh, we're going to unpack that story in the next several weeks. But today, I want us to begin with the very beginning of Samson's uh, origins. And I want to begin with a question to you that is a hard question. D- do you ever feel disappointed with God? Do you ever feel like God's let you down? I want to say to you this morning, I I think if you're going to be honest with yourself, you have felt this. If you have not felt this and you're blessed to live much longer, there will be times in your life, seasons in your existence where you're going to feel like that God uh, has let you down. Verse 1 and 2, we'll begin here. It says, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now, we've been in Judges a lot on Sunday night and we're on Wednesday nights and and one of the phrases you hear a whole lot in this book is the, the Israelites did evil, so the Lord punished them. He delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. The Philistines are kind of some famous bad guys uh, in, the, in the Bible. Who was Goliath? Do you remember David killed Goliath? He was a what? A Dubakite. No, he was a Philistine. He was a Philistine. In verse 2, it says, A certain man of Zorah, that was his town, Named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was sterile and remained childish. Uh, childless, not childish, childless. Samson was childish. We'll see that more in the days ahead. It's a tough time. I mean, their country's under siege. They're, they're being beaten down by these people, the Philistines. To give you a little context, uh, sometimes I, I think it's hard for us to understand what the world was like back then. We've got a map to kind of give you some context. There's Jerusalem, 
And it's in the same spot today as it was 4,000 years, 4,500 years ago there. And Zorah, where Samson's going to be born and raised, is right here. It's, that's only about 15 miles. And the Philistine country at this time began right here. Here's the border. Samson grew up right there uh, on the border. And that's going to be significant because he's going to fight these people a whole lot. Uh, in the days ahead. So you see, it's all pretty compressed. It's not, it's not, these aren't places that are far, far apart, which is important since they had to walk a lot of places they went. But that gives you a little physical background of where they were. But the country was in trouble, but I think on a more personal note, you had a, you had a family, a, a couple in trouble. It says she was childless, that she was sterile. She was unable to conceive. And Folks, it, in our day and age, if a couple can't have a, a child, that's tough. It's hard. Um, a lot of times they, they wonder why and they question God why they can't. But if, if you go back to Jesus' day and even you go back farther, this was a really, a really bad thing. It was a really a tough thing because not correctly, not correctly at all, but they associated being childless with, with God's punishment, that, that if you had kids, you had God's favor, which we know today, there's no way that that is a sign of God's favor. Uh, and if you, if you can't have kids back then, that God was punishing you. And so even probably in their religious circles, among their friends, they were looked at. And by the way, Samson's mother is never named. But Manoah and his wife are, are looked at probably as people that God's not blessing. And, and, and a husband could actually divorce his wife if they couldn't have kids. Now, they didn't have the, near the scientific uh, place where we are today. So they, they wouldn't know if it was the man or the woman. They blamed it on the woman. So he could divorce the woman. Or uh, maybe even worse is he could marry other women and bring them into the house uh, in, in hopes that they would bring him kids. And so you can imagine that you've got three or four wives in the house. Men, is that beginning to sound a little bit interesting? Of course, I guess one can cook, one can clean, one can... Uh, that probably wouldn't work out that way, would it? But the woman who was able to finally have kids, the other ladies are really considered ostracized. It, it was a very, it was not a good thing at all. In fact, it was probably something they looked at as that God was punishing them, that God's hand was not on their life because they were not able to have kids. In Mesopotamia, in this area, they, uh, uh, they used to have all kinds of fertility practices. One was that a lady would go out and she'd get 21 pebbles from a certain stream, make a necklace out of them, put the necklace on, wear the necklace, rub the necklace on, with her hands and all over her body, and that was supposed to help her have babies, as we know today that that would not help her have babies. But can you imagine the sadness in this couple who are probably now getting older and they can't have kids? I, I wonder today, to move forward several thousand years, where do you feel like God's let you down? Several years ago, Philip Yancey wrote a book, Disappointment with God, and it's been a while since I've been through that book, but it's a, it's a great book. It's a book that basically is talking about how we feel God's let us down. Maybe for you, maybe for you today it is that you can't have children, or maybe you had a stillborn child, or you had a child born and you had all these dreams and aspirations and their health was not to where that will ever happen. Or, or maybe you, you married and you thought you were marrying great and it's not working out like you wanted it to. But you're going to try to do the right thing and stay in it and it's hard. 
Maybe you have physical problems. Maybe it's psychological problems and the doctors can't help you, can't figure out what's going on in your life. Maybe it's financial problems. I don't know what it is. But I'm sure this morning in our room today that there are people who feel that God has let you down. If you feel that way, you're normal. You don't feel that way today, that's awesome. You will if you live much longer. So what do we do? I, I want to tell you this. Here's the second thing I want to tell you this morning. I want to give you some things to hang your hat and your heart on. I want to give you some, some facts for you to put in your head and, and let them sink into your heart. I heard uh, one of Billy Graham's men years ago was talking about Christian truth. And he said that Christian truth has got to enter our heads. And then it's got to make that 12 to however tall you are, 18-inch trip from your head to your heart. In other words, you've got to accept it academically, but then you have to embrace it in your heart. It, the truth can't just stay here. It's got to be something that you take and you make personally for you. So I want to give you four things that I promise you today that if you will take these things and you let them get in your head and let them sink to your heart, these things will help you as you struggle with a disappointment with God. They'll help you as you help other people who are struggling, feeling disappointed with God. Here's the first one. This probably is number one. God has not, nor will he ever let you down. God has never failed you, nor will he ever fail you. I want to read verse 2 again. It says, A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. They had to feel this way. Her friends had babies. If she, she probably came from a big family. That was the way it was back then. They had babies. She doesn't have a baby. He had to be let down. He, I'm sure he had dreams as being a dad and then a granddad of all these great things that were going to happen. But they don't have kids. And deep in the night, when they're all alone, they probably struggle with what you struggle with. Why has God let this happen to me? Let me give you one of the greatest truths that you can ever get a hold of. No matter what your situation is today, I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean to you. You are understanding it wrong if you're blaming God. God has never, nor will he ever, fail you or forsake you. Hebrews 13 is one of my favorite verses, particularly the last part of it. Listen to the last part. It says, God will never leave you, nor will he ever forsake you. God will never leave you, nor forsake you. you folks... Everybody you know has the potential, sadly, to, to forsake you, to disappear, to, to not be there for you. Or maybe they'll be there for you, but they'll fail you. They won't stand up for you. They won't be in your corner. Almost everyone, you know, here's what God says. God says, my promise to you is I will not, not only will I not leave you, I will never fail you. How many of you think that's awesome? You will when you're in an emergency. You will when you're in a bind. Now listen, here's what you do and what I do. You go, I don't feel that. I don't feel that. I don't feel that. Listen, no offense meant, but your feelings aren't always correct. Amen? They're not. 
Well, this is how I feel. This is how I feel. This is my feelings. That's great. That's great. That's exactly what they are. Your emotions at that particular time. You got to trust God or you got to trust your feelings. Let's trust God. God says, number one, I feel like God's disappointed me. I feel like God's failed me. God says, I will never fail you nor forsake you. Man, get that in your head and let that sink to your heart. Here's the second thing. God's timing is always perfect. God's timing is always perfect. How many of you feel like God's slow? <laughs> God, God seems like he's late to me a lot of times. But, but God's not. They wanted a kid. And God wasn't giving them a kid. You know, great athletes have great timing. Great athletes have great skills. They have physical abilities. But they also, they, their timing is good. Whether it's throwing a ball, hitting a ball, uh, what, whatever it is, shooting a basketball. They have good timing. Great comedians have good timing. I mean, I can tell a joke and a comedian can tell a joke. And there's a huge difference because they're just great at what they do. A lot of it's timing. A whole lot of what God does is timing. Verse 2, I won't read it again. It says they, 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 they couldn't have a child. But look at verse 3. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You're sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive and have a child. You're going to have one. They've been praying and wanting one, no doubt, for years. And all of a sudden, God shows up and says, Now it's fixing to happen. Here's the timing of it. Most scholars believe this 40-year reign of the Philistines, Samson is born in about year one. And then by the time he's 20, he starts being the leader of Israel. So the next 20 years, he lives to about 40, he is fighting these people. God uses him to defend the Jewish people, his people, to protect them, to keep the Philistines at bay, to keep the Philistines from overrunning. God's timing is absolutely perfect with the birth of this child. In Luke chapter 1, way over in the New Testament, there's a story of a couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth. How many of you are familiar with this story a little bit? Zachariah and Elizabeth could not have a baby. They had tried to have a baby probably, and this is not exaggeration, 50 years. They are senior citizens. I mean, they live in the Russ house. They sing in the senior adult choir. They are senior citizens. And they had wanted a kid their whole life because remember, in these societies back then, to not have a kid is to be ostracized so they cannot have a kid. And then they, they probably were in their 80s. Then they find out she's pregnant. God says you're going to have a kid. That's weird timing, isn't it? We'll raise the kid in the nursing home. Be fun for the kid, wouldn't it? But you know what? That baby is, is John the Baptist. He's a cousin of Jesus Christ. And he's born shortly before Jesus. And his life purpose is to be the one that comes before Jesus to promote him and to proclaim him. You think God's timing was perfect there? Listen, whatever you're dealing with this morning, I want to tell you, you've got to hang in there with God. God's not failed you. Well, where is God? God's late. I understand that's, God always seems to be late to me. But God's timing's perfect. Now, if you're taking notes, here's something I'd write down. The devil's early. 
The devil shows up early. I'm going to have half my staff show up late tomorrow. Well, you said the devil comes to work early. It's not what I mean. Here's how the devil shows up early. You get discouraged. You say, you know what? I'm trying to live for God and nothing's happening. I'm trying to do what's right. Nothing's happening. I'm praying. Nothing's happening. Does this sound familiar? I'm doing my best. Nothing's happening. And then the devil shows up and he starts whispering in your ear. Why are you doing this God thing? Why are you? Your wife or your husband, they're not going to change. That other woman or that other guy, they're good. They'll be good to you. You're not getting paid enough at work. You can skim a little bit. About your parents, that company, they owe you. Take some of that. The devil shows up early. You hadn't got that opportunity and you've been praying for it and it's not happening. And then all of a sudden some other opportunities come open. But they just don't feel right in your spirit. You know why? That's the Holy Spirit telling you it's not right. In my life, I've seen it happen over and over and over. When I start getting impatient with God, the devil comes up and puts his arm around me and says, look at some of these opportunities. Hey, stay faithful. God's not failed you, and God's timing is always perfect. Here's the third thing. God may have different plans for you than you do. Now, this is a great thing, isn't it? God, may is not even a good word. God does have different plans for you than you do. They wanted a kid for years. But at the right time, they have a kid. They're just wanting to raise a kid and have a family. God's going to give them a kid that's going to be a national hero. I read this week an article. Now, don't tune me out when I tell you the name of the article because it's a little bit... Sounds blasphemous, but the title of the article was The Foolishness of God. No, it was not talking about that God's foolish. The premise was, is the way God operates appears foolish to us a lot of times. It doesn't make sense. And they use the story of Peter and Paul in the New Testament. Peter was a fisherman. Peter was a common man. Peter dipped skull or whatever they dipped back then. Peter probably used... Fisherman words a lot. You understand what I'm trying to say? Peter burped around the campfire. Paul, on the other hand, was a top flight scholar. He was probably a Pharisee. Paul may have had the equivalent of what's today would be two PhDs. So if I'm God, I take Paul and I send him to the Jewish people, right? He's a top-trained Jewish scholar. And I take Peter and I send him to the Gentiles who are heathens and wild and crazy. God does just the opposite. He sends Paul, the scholar, to the Gentiles. And he sends Peter, the ruffian, to the Jewish people. And you know what? If you've read the rest of the story, it turns out pretty good, doesn't it? Hey... God has different plans for you. And I'm going to say something real good about that in just a second. And that's okay. Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. Listen to these great verses. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. How many of you are willing to admit today, God is smarter than you? Are you willing? Do you admit that? Now, will you live under that? 
I don't understand what's going on. I'm getting disappointed with God. He's not failed you. His timing's perfect. And his ways are different because he's just a little bit smarter. And here's the fourth big thing to grab today. God has bigger and better plans for you than you have. That's a neat thing. I I encourage you, you you pray about your life. You pray about what God wants you to do. You ask God to show you his plans. But inevitably, whatever you can dream up for yourself, God has bigger plans. Isn't that exciting? Again, I want to go back and just say they wanted to have a baby. And it wasn't happening. But when the timing was right, God gives them a baby who's famous forever. We are talking three or four thousand years later about this kid who was born to this couple who couldn't have a baby. Think about isn't that neat? Verse 3 through 5, it says this the angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You're sterile, you're childless. And she probably said, And your next point is, but you're going to conceive. Now you see to it that you drink no wine. Or other fermented drink, you don't eat anything unclean. Because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head because the boy is to be a Nazarite set apart to God from birth. And he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistine. We're going to see next week more about this vow of the Nazarite. This is kind of a famous thing. It's found in Numbers chapter 6, a little bit earlier in the New Testament. Normally, it was taken for a short period of time. A person would choose to say, I'm going to take the Nazarite vow. I won't cut my hair. I used to try to tell my dad when I was a a teenager, I'm going to take a Nazarite vow. I'm not cutting my hair for six months. He never bought into it, but that was part of it. You didn't drink wine. You didn't touch a grape. You didn't have grape juice. You didn't touch a dead body. And interestingly enough, his mother is told to do this while he is being born in her. And this is going to be his way for life. Again, we'll see this next week. It's a very interesting thing. Now, in the Bible... There's only three people who were Nazarites their whole life. In other words, before they were born, God said, these are never going to have their hair cut. They're never to drink wine, grape juice, touch wine, or touch a dead body. Three guys, Samson, Samuel, who's coming up shortly, and John the Baptist, who I mentioned earlier. Now, the interesting thing about all three of these people is that their parents couldn't have a baby. Samson's parents couldn't have a baby. Whoops, timing's perfect. He's born. Unbelievable the plans God had for him. Samuel's mom couldn't have a baby. She was ostracized. She was made fun of. Shazam, she can have a baby. It's Samuel the prophet. And then John the Baptist's parents, they're they're walking like this to, to the baby crib to pick him up, you know. They couldn't have a baby, and they have a baby, and it's the guy that Jesus says the greatest person that ever lived. Isn't that awesome? You see, those, those couples just wanted a kid, and God said, look, my, my plans for you are far bigger and better than your plans for you. I'm going to give you babies, each one of those three, who are going to be game changers for the world. Listen, I want you to buy into this. God's delays in your life are not God's denials. What God is putting off, what you seem to be feeling is God's waiting and God's not acting. God's delays are not God's denials. God's timing is perfect and what God wants to do with you and through you is far greater and bigger than even what you have for your plans for yourself. Isn't that awesome? 
I imagine if you were to talk, you, especially young people, you were to talk to some of the older people here today, and you were to ask them, what did you dream about doing when you were young? And then, then, then if you followed God, where God took you, it's always farther and greater than you could have ever imagined. Man, let it go from your head to your heart. God's let me down. No, he's not. And that God's plans for you are bigger and greater than your own plans are for yourself. Now, here's the last part of this. Here's where we got to bring it together. You got to do something with this. You got to only not let it get, get in your head and your heart, but you've got to put your life under, under Christ. You've got to make a choice. You have to make a choice to put your life under Jesus. You can't live like the devil and expect God to bless you. You got to put your life under Christ and you got to stay there. Well, I tried this for three weeks and nothing happened. It's not a three-week gig. It is a lifetime gig. So what I'm going to ask you to do in just a moment is to buy into those four things I shared with you from Scripture and then put your life under God. Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian... Simple choices, but very hard ones. Buy into what God says. Stay under God. If you're not a Christian or you're unsure, the choice for you too is simple, yet it's very hard. It's surrendering your life to Him. Will you do that today? Would you pray with me where you're seated? If you're ready to do this, and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. I accept that you're God's son and that you died for me and that you arose for me. Jesus, come into my heart and save me today. Let me have your attention just for a moment. We're going to stand in just a minute, but I want you to respond. Maybe you just ask Christ in your heart or you're ready to do that. You've got to respond to Him. Would you today, would you come? Would you come and solidify that decision? One of our ministers will be down here to help you. Do that today. Maybe you're here this morning and you're ready to join our church family. We would love for you to do that. One way you can do that. When we stand, you can slip out, come and talk to a minister. We'll help you do that today. You need a church family. And Christian, maybe this morning where you're standing or at the altar, you need to say to God, I'm going to get my life back under you and I'm going to stay there. Maybe you just want to come and pray or, or have a minister pray with you because you are dealing with that disappointment with God. Let's stand and let's do our part. Let's act on what God's laid out.